Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. We got another week rolling, so jump on in with me, buckle up, and let's take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. Topping our news today, there's a new bill introduced in Congress called the Cattle Contract Library Act. It's yet another attempt in Washington to help improve price discovery in the fed cattle market. We'll talk more about this new bill to kick off today's show. Also, we have another one of those big historic Texas ranches on the market. The Turkey Track Ranch is for sale. I had the privilege of being on the Turkey Track back in the summer. I went to the Adobe Walls historic site there. It is a beautiful piece of Texas property, and if you've got a couple of hundred million bucks, it can be yours. We'll have that story coming up as well. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Developing better seeds could set the stage for expansion in the Texas peanut industry, and that new AgriLife peanut sheller in Vernon is expected to be a significant contributor to that effort. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. U.S. beef exports top $1 billion in sales for the month of August. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. From West Texas, I'm Eddie Griffiths. We'll talk about harvest underway and optimal weather for that harvest. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The Cattle Contract Library Act was introduced in Congress last week. The bipartisan legislation was sponsored by South Dakota Republican Dusty Johnson and Texas Democrat Henry Cuellar. Tanner B. Meyer is the Director of Government Affairs and Marketing Regulatory Policy with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. What this legislation would do is it would direct the Secretary of Agriculture to establish and maintain a library of all of the contracts offered by packers to cattle feeders for the purchase of live cattle. And why that's important is because there's four transaction types that are categorized by USDA when they report information under livestock mandatory reporting. B. Meyer says the goal is to help livestock producers stay afloat and help them bounce back from what he calls black swan events. We're trying to make sure that they have more resources available to them, and we're trying to make sure that the market overall is operating in the most transparent way possible. That is our top priority here. And if if we can arm producers with more information that could potentially allow them to capture more value for their cattle, that is a win in our books. B. Meyer says another item in the bill that would help cattle producers is fully reauthorizing livestock mandatory reporting. There's another big historic Texas ranch on the market. After more than a century of stewardship by the same families, the historic Turkey Track Ranch, site of the Battles of Adobe Walls in the Texas Panhandle, is now for sale. 
According to Dallas-based Icon Global Group, the nearly 80,000-acre ranch in Hutchison County is listed for $200 million. A statement from the Coble and Wittenberg families says they've decided to sell the historic ranch due to the family's increasing numbers and geographical distances. They say that they've recognized it is time for a new steward for the ranch. A lead appraiser for Capital Farm Credit told the Fort Worth Star-Telegram it is one of the state's most premier ranches. The working ranch includes about 26 miles of Canadian river frontage, water resources, fertile grasslands, and diverse wildlife. The Star-Telegram reports the sale is expected to garner both statewide and international interest. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The Texas Supreme Court has decided to hear a case involving the Texas Central High Speed Rail Project. The court initially declined the case, but decided to take it on after reviewing a petition from landowner Jim Miles. The case centers around whether or not Texas Central is legally a railroad company. If it is, then does it have the eminent domain authority to acquire property for the high-speed rail route that will connect Dallas to Houston? The new high-tech peanut sheller in Vernon, Texas, could help the Texas peanut industry develop better seed. James Hunt tells how. What the future holds for the Texas peanut industry could depend a lot on developing better quality seed. And that's one reason why the new peanut sheller at Texas A&M AgriLife Foundation Seed near Vernon is considered so important. I'm very hopeful that this facility will help us increase our acres by helping get peanuts into the fields, into farmers' hands that are more suitable for Texas's climate, more drought-resistant, more cold-tolerant, all the things that we need in Texas, disease-resistant, that's our hope for sure. That's Shelly Nutt, Executive Director of Texas Peanut Producers. Nutt says the new AgriLife peanut sheller won't produce enough peanuts to compete with commercial shellers, but with its unique capacity for cleaning and sorting seeds, the AgriLife sheller can deliver something significant for seed development uncontaminated seed. So a farmer who's supposed to get seed for one particular variety will get only that type of seed with no other varieties inadvertently mixed in. If a farmer is growing out 100 acres of seed for Texas Foundation Seed Service and they're going to grow it out because we need to multiply it so that we can grow it all over the state, that seed has to maintain purity. And so if we've got 100 acres of runners, but throughout that 100 acres we've got Virginia's popping up all over it because the seed wasn't cleaned out of the shelling facility well or whatever, then that's contaminating that whole lot. Um, Either the farmer can go through and pull every one of those Virginia plants by hand, or it's going to contaminate the seed stock. With that hazard eliminated, it will be interesting to watch what more efficient seed development brings to our peanut growers. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. U.S. beef exports are setting records this year. Tom Nicoletti has the story. U.S. beef exports soared to another new value record in August, topping the $1 billion mark for the first time. Here is U.S. Meat Export Federation President and Chief Executive Officer Dan Hallstrom. Of course, the highlight is that the value breaking $1 billion for beef exports globally in a single month is monumental. It wasn't that long ago that six or $700 million in a month was record-breaking. But the exciting thing is while it's led by Japan and China, we really had broad-based growth on the beef side from a variety of regions. Uh, you look at Central America, you look at Mexico, you look at South America, there's a lot of different areas around the world that were contributing to the numbers. 
The China business continues to excel. The phase one trade agreement implemented in March of 2020 is really starting to show big dividends. Meanwhile, in August, the value of pork exports increased 20% to $633.9 million. The story for August on pork is in some ways similar to beef, very broad-based growth across a variety of markets. The business into China is down about 20%, which was expected on muscle meats. But the good news on China is that the variety meats continue to rebound, and it's not only into China, but Mexico and some other markets as well. So the variety meat story is a very good one in terms of incremental business year on year for pork. Demand is, is very strong, and it's broad-based demand. We had a big month in Mexico, a big month in Japan, South America, Central America. So for the year, we're optimistic. We're still estimating a new record for pork up a percent or two from last year's record. That is Dan Hallstrom with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. I'm Tom Nicolotti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Cotton harvest is now underway in West Texas. Eddie Griffiths has an update from the Lubbock area. Here in West Texas, producers have got cotton harvest underway. Still lots of harvest aids being put out on the cotton to try to stay ahead of the harvest machinery. The weather has been really good for harvest over the past week or so. We can keep it clear for the next three or four weeks. We ought to be able to get most of this cotton crop out of the field. As far as Grades and quality do not have any of that information yet, but it seems like the cotton is doing pretty good. As far as the wheat crop is concerned here in West Texas, it has started emerging and the irrigated wheat is getting irrigation put on to try to utilize that for grazing during the winter months. Dry land is looking good to this point. I'm sure within the next two or three weeks, it'll be needing a drink of water. From West Texas, I'm Eddie Griffiths. A coalition of more than 80 agricultural groups has filed formal objections to EPA's rule to revoke all tolerance of the pesticide chlorpyrifos. Michael Clements has more from Washington. A large coalition of agriculture groups wrote to the Environmental Protection Agency asking it to postpone revocation of clopyrifos until it can consider their formal objections to the rule. Allison Crittenden, American Farm Bureau Federation Congressional Relations Director, says the August 30th rule goes against EPA science. We object to how EPA has come to this decision to revoke tolerances for clopyrifos. We make the case in the letter that EPA's own scientific record on clopyrifos shows that there are actually many safe and high-benefit uses of this chemistry that do not pose a dietary or environmental risk. So in this letter, we're asking EPA to acknowledge that and to stay its decision to revoke these tolerances. Crittenden says the EPA rule takes another tool out of the toolbox for farmers. Corpyrifos is a really important product for very tailored uses. There are some crops like cherries and sugar beet where corpyrifos is really the only alternative to help with these different pest threats. It's also important in controlling aphids and soybeans. So what this means is we're losing, once again, another tool in the toolbox that was important to agriculture and to farmers. Now, the coalition will wait for a response from the EPA. Obviously, there's a very strong showing having over 80 agricultural groups signing on to this one coalition objection. I think now we see how EPA responds to this, and hopefully by explaining our concerns with the process in which this revocation was issued, we can prevent further activity in a similar vein for other pesticide products. From Washington, I'm Michael Clements for Texas Ag Today. 
More Texans are trying their hand at hunting sandhill cranes. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. And it seems abnormal to recommend feeding high levels of fat to horses, but it can be beneficial. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. When we moved to Texas, we were like fish out of water. We didn't know anyone in our neighborhood until our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent came to the house. She was so helpful and reassuring, a friendly face with that Texan hospitality I'd heard about. When we purchased a Texas Farm Bureau insurance policy, we knew we were making the right choice. We knew our family would be protected. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an insurance agent who's a true neighbor. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. It seems a bit abnormal to recommend feeding high levels of fat to any animal, but veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd says it can be beneficial in horses. Fat is commonly used as an energy source in horses as it provides two and one-fourth times more calories per gram than carbohydrates. So the horse can get the same amount of calories by eating fat as eating carbohydrates and are able to eat less volume. Eating large volumes of carbohydrates can lead to gastrointestinal disturbances like colic and laminitis, so feeding fat for calories is a safer option. Dr. Claire Thunes indicates in the horse publication that the horse's body can only use fat as a fuel when working aerobically or in the presence of oxygen in the tissues. However, this preserves glycogen stores for use during anaerobic work, which is when the tissues are without oxygen, such as during intense exercise. This can increase the time to fatigue, and dietary fat also increases absorption of fat-soluble vitamins, such as vitamins A, D, E, and K. Good quality pasture might have a fat content of 2-5% to and will even be less in hay, but pasture does have high levels of omega-3 fatty acids compared to omega-6 fatty acids, as does hay. However, concentrate feeds have higher levels of omega-6 fatty acids than omega-3 fatty acids, which can increase inflammation. Because omega-3 fatty acids are actually anti-inflammatory, some folks supplement the diet with omega-3 fatty acids. To increase omega-3 fatty acids in the diet, many companies are adding ingredients such as flaxseed to increase both omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids. You can also add flax or corn oil to the diet to increase omega-3 fatty acids, but the ration may not be balanced. For this reason, it is recommended to purchase a high-fat ration that is correctly balanced compared to feeding vegetable oil. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. More Texans are trying their luck at hunting sandhill cranes. Jessica Domel tells more about it in today's Wildlife Report. In just a few days, hunters on the western side of the state will have the opportunity to hunt sandhill cranes. Owen Fitzsimmons, Webless Migratory Game Bird Program Leader for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, says sandhill crane hunting has grown in popularity. We've seen a big increase in hunters since around 2015, but especially the past couple of years, it's really exploded in popularity. Part of it is we don't have the geese that we used to have coming to Texas. So this kind of provides the same type of opportunity. You get out in the field, you put out your decoys, you know, somewhat of the same feel. But the other part of that is just, I think it was relatively unknown. And a lot more people are starting to realize through social media and other media sources that this is a really cool and fun sport that they can get into. 
There are two main areas where sandhill cranes may be found in Texas. Cranes are primarily found along the coast, and the bulk of the population in Texas is found in the panhandle, the high and rolling plains. Crane hunters are required to have a special permit in addition to a hunting license, federal duck stamp, and the migratory game bird endorsement. HIP certification is also required. If you're going to sandhill crane hunt, you need to get a federal sandhill crane hunting permit. It's free, but you have to get it either through the Parks and Wildlife website online or call Parks and Wildlife headquarters, or you can go to your local Parks and Wildlife office and get it there. The regular hunting season for sandhill cranes in Zone A opens Saturday, October 30th. Zone A is an area west of 83 from Childress to Junction, west of I-10 from Junction to San Antonio, and west of I-35 from San Antonio to Laredo. The Zone A daily bag limit is three birds. Possession limit is nine. You can find this year's regulations on OutdoorAnnual.com. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. We saw a higher trade in the cattle market to kick off the week on Monday. We also closed higher in the cotton market. We'll update all of Monday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. know what to do if you're stuck on the railroad crossing? Get out of your vehicle. If a train is not approaching, find the blue and white emergency notification system sign on the traffic signs at the crossing. For help, call the number on the sign and give them the crossing number so they know your location and can alert train traffic. Remember, find the blue and white to save your life. For more information, visit OLI.org. giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. USDA released a bullish cattle on feed report on Friday, and that helped out the cattle market's trade on Monday. We closed higher in both live and feeder cattle as USDA's placements number for September came in below analyst expectations. So that ended up causing a higher trade on Monday. October live cattle up 92 cents, 125.02. The December up $1.20, 129.52. February live cattle up $1.25 at 134.75. October feeder cattle up 20 cents, closing at 155.62. November up $1.57, 158.47. The January up $1.25 at 158.57. Cash fed cattle market all quiet on Monday, no bids or asking prices to report. Boxed beef was lower Monday, choice down $1.59 at 280.23. Select down 92 cents, 262.19. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Let's head over to Lockhart and talk to that little country ball of fire, Madison Bexley. They sell them every Thursday. Maddie, how are you today? Pretty good, Larry. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. It's a beautiful day outside. Uh, Was it a beautiful day for a livestock sale Thursday in Lockhart? It, It sure was. We ended up having 14.17 with 237 cows and 20 bulls, um, 190 sellers and 77 buyers. Let's walk the pins. On the stocker cows, we got along pretty good this week. Uh, we didn't have very much to choose from in the way of pairs, but we had a pretty good set of bread cows. Uh, the few mediocre pairs from 750 to 1,000. Front end of the bread cows from 950 to 1275. Mediocre middle-aged shortbreads from 550 to 900. 
The longhorn and the planer end of the cows from 250 to five and a quarter. Packer cows and bulls would have been about steady with a week ago. The good high yielding cows from 55 to 71. The medium yielding from 45 to 54. Low yielding and lightweight cows from 20 to 44. Uh, on the Packer bulls, we didn't have any real good high yielding bulls this week. Uh, a few of the better bulls, uh, the low and to mid 80s. Low and medium yielding from 60 to 80. And calves and yearlings were mostly steady with the weaker on a good active market. Uh, the real good quality three to six weight heifers would have been four to six higher. But all in all, it was a great day. All right. Well, tell everybody how to get a hold of y'all. Yeah, you can always check us out on Facebook or you can call the barn at 512-398-3476. My cell phone at 979-540-9793. Or you can ring Bubba at 512-461-6091. We appreciate it. And y'all have a good sale next week. We'll speak with you after. Thank you, Larry. Maddie, thanks so much for being on Walking the Pins. Neighbor, I'm Larry Marble. I'm your host. We'll see you back tomorrow. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now where lean hogs closed higher on Monday. December hogs up 87 cents, 74.20. February up 15 at 76.77. Class 3 milk was slightly lower. The nearby October down a penny, 17.86 a hundredweight. November milk down 27 at 19.34 a hundred. The cotton market closed slightly higher. Overnight Chinese buying helped to boost prices a bit. However, the global shipping crisis continues to keep a lid on exports, and that's putting a lid on prices. December cotton up 28 points, closing at 108.54. March cotton up 37 to close at 106.56. Not much direction in the corn market on Monday. December corn was unchanged, closing at 5.38 a bushel. The March contract steady also. It closed at 5.46 and three quarters. Both hard and soft wheat finished slightly higher Monday. July Kansas City wheat up three and three quarters, 7.65 and three quarters. July Chicago wheat up six and three quarters, 7.63 and a quarter. In the energy markets, natural gas sharply higher. November up 62 cents at 5.90. December crude oil down 29.83.47 a barrel. The financial markets slightly higher Monday. The Dow up 67 points at 35,744. The Nasdaq up 153, 15,243. The S&P up 23 points at 4,568. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. My name's Kerry Martin. Hope to see you next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state on the planet, Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website, at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.